This episode is brought to you by Milano Cookies. Look, sometimes that long Zen yoga class is just not in the cards. So maybe a cookie is. Pepperidge Farm Milano believes you should make some time for yourself once in a while. I know I have a particular space in my sewing room that I like to just take a few minutes every day. I sit there. I think about things. It's kind of like meditation and munching at the same time. You can get that yummy, beautiful cookie flavor. It makes it luxurious and delightful, and I always feel recharged. Milano cookies are truly a treat worthy of your me time. They're delicate and crispy with luxuriously rich chocolate in the middle. You really want to keep these just for you. So remember to save something for yourself with Pepperidge Farm Milano. The richest, most powerful place on earth. A fiction podcast. Tuman Bay. On an epic scale. Power is everything. Power gives everything. We have to get away from this place. Tuman Bay is our destiny. Now on the iHeart Podcast Network, Tuman Bay. Be sharp and die for Tuman Listen to all episodes of Tomb and Bay Seasons 1 and 2 now for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And we've been focusing a lot lately on charismatic rebel leaders and specifically guerrilla warfare. We've talked about Garibaldi and we've talked about Toussaint Louverture. And we have another one for you today. And his name is Bar Kokhba. And we had talked a bit about some Jewish revolts in our podcast on King Herod's tomb. We talked a little bit about Masada. But this, the Bar Kokhba revolt, or the second Jewish revolt, is an incredibly important event in Jewish history and one that Sarah and I had missed in history. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And to give you a very short summary, it's the Jews versus the Romans in Judea, 132 to 135 AD. And spoiler alert, the Romans win, but there's a lot more to it than that. So things weren't always that bad between the Jews and the Romans. We have Pompey subduing Judea in 63 BC, and between that we have uh, Herod and the Massacre of the Innocents and that bit of history that most people probably do know. Um, but there's a policy of tolerance in this early Roman rule. They didn't interfere much with Jewish religious practices. Even though they thought they were a bit strange and they didn't understand why Jews didn't eat pork or, you know, have images of their God around or why they circumcised babies. But there wasn't a lot of animosity. It was more just, oh, look at your strange, quaint customs. But there were some big differences, fundamental differences uh, between the Jews and Romans. I was reading a little bit from Martin Goodman's Rome and Jerusalem, The Clash of Ancient Civilizations. And he was saying basically that Rome was all about political and military power, while Jerusalem was completely centered around religion. And this was something that was bound to cause a clash at some point or another. Yeah, it results in different ideas about government and about people. And about morality. Yeah. One example, the Jews didn't celebrate birthdays with any kind of ritual. Um, well, that is a huge deal for Romans, especially celebrating the emperor's birthday. And to give you an idea of how things usually went, the people the Romans conquered generally assimilated fairly well into Roman culture. Local beliefs and local customs were absorbed, and things usually went fairly smoothly from there. Yeah, but there'd be trade-offs. 
But things were different um, with the Jews because their culture was so different and so specific, especially when it came to religion, you know, being monotheistic versus polytheistic. And while the Romans forced their other conquered people into certain religious obligations, they didn't make the Jews do that. They didn't make them worship the Roman gods, for example. They let them stay with their one god. And in return, the Jewish people prayed for the emperor at the temple and offered sacrifices in his honor. Yeah, so we've got a small amount of compromise, at least early on here. But in 66, Eliezer, who was a priest in Jerusalem, put his foot down, basically, and said, you know, let's stop offering these sacrifices in honor of the emperor. It's not appropriate. And this starts a showdown, which starts a huge revolt, which is the first Jewish revolt. It goes from 66 to 70. And this is not a little skirmish. It's a really, really big deal. Now, it's also known as the Great Revolt. And during this time, a lot of Jewish Christians fled Judea. And in 70, the Romans won and destroyed the Second Temple, which was an absolutely devastating loss to religious life and to Jewish culture, and a million Jews died in this revolt. So the revolt obviously results in some changes in attitude, and the Romans start acting differently to the Jews in Jerusalem. The rules get harder and stricter. And then there's another event that changes things even further. Around the year 114, the emperor Trajan starts a fight against the Parthians, the Persian Empire, and the Parthian Jews fought with their neighbors, the Persians, against the Romans. And meanwhile, Jews elsewhere in the empire began to revolt. And in response for these betrayals in their eyes, the Romans wiped out Jewish communities in Cyprus, Libya, Alexandria, and Mesopotamia. So according to some people, the Jewish diaspora had actually started before the Second Revolt, but we'll talk about that a little more later. The next event comes in 130, when Emperor Hadrian first shows up in Jerusalem. And he actually starts out with a pretty lenient reign in regard to the Jews. He even talks about letting them rebuild the temple. But he later goes back on all of this and becomes uh, a very strict and harsh emperor. Goes in the complete opposite direction. The Jews have been accorded enemy status. He started deporting them, and then he began to oppress their religious practices. He banned circumcision, for example. He announced plans to build a Roman temple on top of where the Temple of Jerusalem used to be, which, of course, is a very sacred spot. This is more than a slap in the face. This is a desecration. Well, it's it's taking places of power and trying to assume them. Which is always an interesting thing in history, at least for me. Yeah. And there's also a really terrible governor of Judea at the time, Tineus Rufus, who was said to take advantage of Jewish women and um, just generally bad guy to have in charge. So if you're living as a Jew in Jerusalem at this time, you can't practice your religion the way that you want. You're being governed by a terrible emperor and possibly an even more terrible governor. And in this climate, during some construction, the tomb of Solomon collapsed, which had to just maybe be... The last 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 straw. So Judea is stirred up. People are angry. All they need is a compelling leader. And now we enter Simon Bar Kosiba, also known as Bar Kokhba, who will lead the revolt. And like some of the other men we've talked about, Simon Bar Kokhba was a born leader. He's really good at uniting people. Yeah, the kind of stuff he does. mm -hmm. 
And we even have some of his letters in which he refers to himself as Prince, so he, he thinks quite highly of himself as well. And so did other people. Some, like Rabbi Akiba at the time, thought he was the Messiah. He got his name, Bar Kochba, which means son of star, from a verse in the book of Numbers, which says there shall come a star out of Jacob. And he starts assembling a guerrilla army of a 100,000 people. And the Jews, meanwhile, are hiding out in caves and minting their own coins. And they think that this revolt might actually be the apocalypse. And we found archaeological evidence of them being in caves preparing for this, which is pretty interesting. They managed to take over Judea, throwing the Romans out and briefly establishing a Jewish state. Some say they never captured Jerusalem, while others disagree, but they achieved great, great successes. And the time frame on how long this this Jewish state lasts is a little shaky. Some people, it's a little up in the air. Yeah, some people are saying just a few months. Some put it as long as a couple of years. But just the fact that it exists is is important in itself. So half the Roman army ends up in Judea to quell the rebellion. And just think about that, because we all know how powerful the Roman army was. It takes half of it to come and fight 100,000 Jews. Julius Severus is in charge of the army. And if you want to picture this a little bit more, don't picture two armies coming at each other in a battlefield, you know, marching toward one another. It ends up being a lot of skirmishes between small groups. And some say that's because the Romans didn't want open battle. They were afraid that the Jews were willing to die for their faith, and therefore it would be much bloodier than they were willing to get into. And others say it was Bar Kokhba who wouldn't fight them in open battle. But either way, that's how it played out. Yeah, and for a while the Jews are actually winning, and then the resistance starts to fall apart. And um, again, disagreement over why this happens. Some people think it's arrogance on the part of Bar Kokhba, who starts acting like a messiah instead of a rebel leader. Power corrupts. Yeah. And according to one of the midrashes, he actually killed the priest Eliezer, which would um, suggest, I don't know, power craze, lost the support of God. I don't know. Also on the side of the Romans, we have some natural events like famine, disease, and fire that were quickly running through the ranks of the Jewish people and proved to be a much more powerful force than Julius Severus. So Jerusalem falls in 135, and Bar Kokhba retreats to Bitar, which is a fortress on the coast, after losing Jerusalem. And that's where his last stand is. There's a midrash on lamentations, and this is a quote. They slew the inhabitants until the horses waded in blood up to the nostrils, and the blood rolled along the stones. And this is referring, of course, to the Romans killing the Jews. And the fall of Batar happened on Tisha B'Av, what's known as the saddest day in Jewish history. That's when the first and second temples both fell. And according to these accounts, this was a very, very bloody end to Batar and Bar Kokhba's people. He was killed and his head was brought to Hadrian. But other accounts have more Jews at Batar dying of hunger and thirst than being actually killed. And that's why the city fell. So once again, we just have this uncertainty about certain aspects of this account. Uh, but according to the Talmud, the Romans wouldn't bury the Jews who died at Batar, regardless of how they died. They left them out for years, but the bodies didn't rot. And other accounts of this war have Jewish children being wrapped in Torah scrolls and burned alive, which Sarah and I decided we wouldn't entirely put past the Roman army. 
So after the revolt, Jerusalem is destroyed, Batar is destroyed, and 500,000 Jews are killed. Even more. Yeah, that's just in battle. Yeah, because even more of them die from starvation or disease. But because a lot of Romans die too, they get pretty fed up with the remaining Jewish people and try to crush them. They sell Jews as slaves for the price of a horse. And um, the city was rebuilt as a Roman colony, complete with a temple to Jupiter, Colonia Aelia Capitolina. Um, and Judea is renamed, too, Palestina. Pagan statues and such were put on holy sites. Rabbis were killed, including Rabbi Akiba, who we mentioned earlier. Uh, Jews were forbidden to observe the Sabbath, meet in synagogues, study the Torah, and perhaps most terrible of all, Jews were banned from the city of Jerusalem until the 4th century, um, except on Tisha B'Av, where they came to the portion of the Western Wall that was left standing. And this was just like rubbing salt in the wound. Yeah, when when you mentioned that earlier, it made more sense to me, because I was having trouble imagining why, if you're going to kick a whole people out of a city while you bother to let them come back for a day. but Because you invite them back in to remember the saddest days yeah, of their history. the worst day of their religion's history. Later on, the emperor after Hadrian is a little more lenient. He allows for circumcision again, allows for the burying of the dead. Um, but things are never the same. Well, we should talk a little bit about why this is so important. Some say that the Bar Kokhba revolt also known as the Second Jewish Revolt, is when the Jewish diaspora started because, of course, so many Jews were killed, many were enslaved, the religion was oppressed, and people ended up, you know, in all parts of the globe. And after this, the Jewish state in general was gone for century upon century. And Bar Kokhba's reputation changed, too, for some people. Uh, Some considered him now the son of lies or the son of the disappointment instead of the Messiah. And in general, people got a lot more skeptical of messianic claims, which that's an interesting uh, turning point, I guess. We've talked about that a bit today, but we'd like to know more about what you think. If you'd like to email us at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. If there are any nuances we're missing or things you'd like to add, please let us know, and we'll be happy to mention them in a later podcast. So we've covered a few points now on the Jewish-Roman Wars, first on our episode about Herod and now Bar Kokhba. But we're really interested in doing some more podcasts on Jewish history. We put out a call on Twitter, which is Missed in History, and our, we've gotten a few suggestions through there. But if you want to email us, too, that would be great. And if you'd like to learn more about messiahs, false and otherwise, you can check out an article I wrote on how Jerusalem syndrome works. If you look on our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the howstuffworks.com homepage. Hi, guys. 
guys, my name is Sammy J. I have been working as a correspondent and interviewer since I was 13. And now at 17, I am so honored to be the youngest person to have her own podcast on iHeartRadio. It's called Let's Be Real with Sammy J. We'll have in-depth and unfiltered conversations with celebrities, activists, athletes, and influencers. We'll cover topics we're curious about, topics my guests are passionate about, and topics many of us are just too afraid to talk about. I get past the fluff to what's real. We go there, and it's fun, pretty crazy, and very revealing. Listen to Let's Be Real with Sammy J on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The future is closer than you think, and it all starts in the palm of your hand. You may have heard the news. 5G is coming. In this new iHeart series, This Time Tomorrow, presented by T-Mobile for Business, join me, Oswald Oshin, and my co-host, Cara Price as we walk you through the true revolution in mobility that will change the way we interact with the world around us. Join us and hear just how close we are getting to a more connected future. This Time Tomorrow is now available on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts.